Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Saturdays with Jenny on Kaya FM 95.9. One of the most extensive genomic studies ever done in African populations has uncovered 3 million new genetic variants, revealing new insights into the diversity and history of the continent and its people. Now, I just want to say quickly thank you to Maverick Citizen and to Elsabi Brits because um, I didn't write that, Elsabi did, but I couldn't have done it better. And if you don't understand it, welcome to the club, but we are going to explain all sorts of things to you as we go on. And that's going to be thanks to the help of Joni Brenner, who is the Principal Tutor Interdisciplinary Art and Culture Studies at Wits University and an artist in her own right. She's also the brains behind and Marigold and I don't expect you to remember what Marigold is all about but we'll tell you and her work is on the cover of one of the world's great science magazines it's called Nature and Professor Zane Lombard leader of the study from the Department of Human Genetics at WITS. So first of all welcome to Kai FM it's really really great to see you. So I want to start with you Joni just to just to refresh people about what Marigold is all about. So you're born and bred in Zimbabwe. Your mum came down from Zimbabwe for a trip and she no well <laughs> firstly thanks and hi and it's so nice to be here again and um, so Marigold is a long-standing beadworking cooperative that's based in Bulawayo, um, which is, you're right, where I was born and, and raised. And I have recently, in the last 10 years, actually found out more about them. And you're right, through my mom, who was there, who alerted me to this beadwork cooperative. And I started asking questions and and trialing some new beadwork and one thing led to another and actually it's our 10 year anniversary next year of working together me and this exist pre-existing long-standing cooperative but what um, I'm, I'm interrupting you but good. but what sets the necklaces principally the necklaces that come from marigold in Bulaway apart from all other beadwork necklaces I have seen is that they work it on on handheld looms and right. and therefore that what you are getting is hand woven uh, beadwork and it is absolutely pristine and it is different mm. to all the other mm. stuff where you you are threading that's right uh, so it's where not you are threading or beads. stitched it's not picked or stitched it's done on a loom and it's yeah line by line yes. um, the beads are picked up and and woven into a long thin strip that does have a material textility to quality to it and of course you're selling them are they still ridiculously inexpensive and very covetable so <laughs> you live and in fact you're married to him so you do live together <laughs> and that uh, you married to uh, Scott Hazelhurst and he is also at Wits and he's also a scientist and Tell us the story of how you got onto the cover of one of the world's great science magazines with these necklaces. So, I um, mean, the, the project it's, the project itself um, has from time to time undertaken special projects where we've worked with very specific ideas. Living with Scott actually has meant that I had walk past his computer screen very often <laughs> and all <laughs> stand over his shoulder and see these extraordinary um, graphic depictions of this complicated research that, that he and Zanae and various of 
the other colleagues are involved with. And one day I looked over his shoulder and I saw the most remarkable, complex, highly saturated, beautiful strip designs. And of course, anything in a strip just signals marigold to me. It's the same form. And I asked him about it and I kept thinking about it and going back to it. And then I said, you know, I think it would be so interesting. It would make a beautiful marigold necklace. We sort of laughed about it and I kept coming back to it. And in the end, we um, he helped me actually. We printed it out and he explained what was going on with it so that I could explain it to the beaders in Zimbabwe. Did they have the, the, the diagram? The, Absolutely. Because the, you know, there's several of them. Yeah, they had mm. the diagram and they also had a layperson's explanation of what was going on in these diagrams. Yes. so that there was a, a very deep understanding on their part around um, what they were doing when they were translating this this complicated um, data, which Zanae, I'm sure, will explain, um, into beadwork. And, um, yeah, so we made three necklaces. So it's a real uh, labor of love passion project. It's not like some of the other projects where there's a bigger production. It's just three necklaces that were very precisely and meticulously um, beaded according to this specific pattern. And that was that. Was that. One of those necklaces um, belongs to uh, Michelle Ramsey, who's at the Sydney Brenner Institute, also on this project. And, um, and the other two belong to Scott. Well, it is, I mean, they're very covetable and presumably only a scientist could read them because it would take a scientist, you know, using data to, to look at them initially. And then, of course, the colours, each of the colours you've used for, for part of the study um, and read it. And they will be absolutely astonished. It's like a it's like a scientist's language, really. It is. And it was nice to hear Michelle say that a scientist could loosely read the data. So there's obviously some interpretation and, and um, yeah, cha- some slight shifts and changes that happen. But it is loosely legible to to scientists who know what what they're looking at. at yeah. So let's go to uh, Professor Zane Lombard. And uh, Zane, I'm really, really thrilled that you came in because there's so many people, myself included. I was once told too much knowledge is a bad thing <laughs> in, in the world I am because then you don't, write, you don't ask the right answer, you know, the right uh, questions. So my question is, can you explain to us what a genome is in the first place? I'll try my best. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor. Um, so a genome speaks to our DNA. So we, our DNA is our inherited material that we inherit from our mothers and fathers. And the genome is just plainly all that DNA put together. So it's every little bit of DNA that instructs how our bodies are made and what we look like and has information, of course, about our ancestry, etc., enclosed in there. Okay, so so it is possible. Therefore, I was watching a program last night about Neanderthals, and and how and why they had died out, you know, right across from one side of Europe to the other side. But they all died out. Yeah. But we all have their genomes. Um, presumably, about two percent of each of us on the planet have got their genomes. Two percent. Exactly. So our DNA is is like a history book. It tells us a bit more about what had happened in the past and population groups that we interacted with. And of course, with um, with that story, we engage with that long past um, population 
at some point and carry some of that DNA with us that tells a story about that history of engagement. So, so this is purely an African study, yeah. and and it's it's revealed all sorts of things that we didn't know existed before. So, and I'm fascinated by tracking um, sickle cell disease and what that does. Um, uh, trade routes coming in presumably from East Africa. Just tell us what you actually discovered. Um, so I think we were pleasantly surprised at how much more there was to discover by including populations from Africa. We know that Africa is the cradle of humankind and that there's such diversity on the continent. So I think that really helped us to to feel well motivated in including these population groups and studying them from a genomics perspective because there's so much more to learn. Um, from our DNA, like we said, we can learn about our past, we can learn about ancestry, but also about the history of travel across the African continent, outside of the continent. And of course, our, our, that's our, our, our body's um, instruction manual. So it also links up to health um, and how our DNA and our genes can actually influence health outcomes. So, so presumably you went to East Africa or, or people from East Africa because you would have had to have done a certain amount of sampling and and you discovered all sorts of things that we didn't know before. Yeah. So the study was really only made possible through um, this consortium that Scott's and myself and my colleagues are a part of, which is called the Atria Africa Consortium. It's a consortium focused on building genomic resources on the African continent. And um, it's a network across Africa. So there are researchers across Africa, East, West, Southern Africa, Northern Africa that work together to, um, to work on these genomics projects. So that's really where we had this opportunity to engage with scientists and researchers from all over Africa and ask them to participate, um, to speak to the participants in their studies and ask them if they wanted to participate in the study, donate their DNA so that we can do the study. So that was really a, a landmark for us is to really drive this kind of research from the African continent. Well, I'm looking at the exact um, travels and the movements um, right down to Botswana, I think, um, and also the patterns, which actually, Joni, are they your patterns? Well, you know, there's several yes. of those structure plots that have been made as the new data has come in exactly. and as the data has expanded. So I, I think that what, what you're looking at, Jeannie, is actually um, close to one of the early structure plots that, that we based the necklaces on. But I, I think mm. that was just a subsection of the broader study that yes. you did. So yeah. as I understand, I think the, the data and the pictures that were used for the necklaces specifically focused on some of the Southern African That's participants right. and, and what the picture that you're looking at is kind of a, the Southern African data as a subset, but it also shows some of the other African um, countries as, as part of that collection. So, Zani, I'm looking at some of these maps and they're all colour-coded and it just tells you, um, uh, let me see, West African, uh, European, Central African, East African, South African. And, and the journeys that they made as far south as Botswana, I think. Just correct me if I'm wrong, because we don't have too much in South Africa yet. So we have limited Southern African data. So there was a little bit of South African data um, that was specifically um, from some of the population groups here in South Africa that was included, but definitely not as much as we would like to see. And we're specifically interested in South Africa because we know the Khoi and the San populations that live here are some of the oldest populations 
populations and their ancestry is also so rich and tells us so much about um, the history of populations. And, and it would be wonderful to know how far they spread um, as well. And yeah, so spreading throughout the continent. So we know that um, African populations, there was a big migration that happened down from West Africa, spreading into East and Southern Africa. And that is part of what our data showed is yes. previously we weren't exactly sure how that migration happened across the continent. And what this DNA data shows us is that it most probably there was a route that was taken through Zambia and then spread out to East and um, to, to Southern Africa, um, really explaining how the populations that live in these countries today intermingled previously and contributed to the ancestry of the groups that are now living in, in these parts of the world. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back in a minute. Saturdays with Jenny on Kaya FM 95.9. We're back again and I'm speaking to Joni Brenner and uh, to Professor Zani Lambert and we are talking about this genome. I, I, I keep wanting to say genomic, but I know there's no such word. But <clears throat> it is absolutely fascinating. It's, well, there is genomic da- data in the form of admixture plots. <laughs> um, any moment people are going to think I really understand it. I mean, it, it is not all that difficult to understand. I obviously don't understand the patterns. But if I'm right, then we had West African um, from the north coming down to Angola and then moving across to Middle East. And I suppose that's the Zambian, that's the Zambian part. Yes. So you're able to actually see where people came. And were those, um, were those trails so to speak. I mean, were they trading trails, for instance? I think that's trading trails, but it's also kind of the trails and the, the paths that were available at that time for people to move as they kind of migrated across Africa to regions that maybe had more food sources, who that were more amenable um, to to settling down into. And I think the, there's a lot of con about what route were taken because we know that there's of course that thick um, strip of rainforest that separates the the northern part of Africa from from the eastern and southern part and really never any clarity about how that migration pattern happened because of this barrier Um, but what this is showing is that most probably that route through the rainforest was taken down to Zambia and then spreading out to eastern southern Africa. And of course there's no way of telling from from the research you've done, the numbers. I mean, we do know the numbers going out of Africa and populating the rest of the world were very small and sporadic and probably over a long period of time as they just needed new new land, new new places to hunt and everything like that. Um, So, yeah, there's no way of really telling what it is, but it does seem like that there was quite a, a mass spread and several waves of migration that happened throughout um, history and going across the continent. And I think we we see that in the richness of diversity that we see in these different population groups. So we've only looked at uh, what we call ethno-linguistic groups. So these are groups of people who speak different languages. Yes. 50 of those. Um, We know that there are more than 2,000 different ethno-linguistic groups in Africa. So there's so much more for us to learn and study um, and add to kind of our understanding of the richness of diversity and, and migration and history that has happened in Africa. So so do you 
Can you, I mean, you can obviously track people linguistically yes. um, if you've got the right people on your staff and everything, because I think that's also absolutely absorbing. Yes. And absolutely. it probably reaches far out of Africa. Yes, absolutely. So I think the, the richness in Africa, as we said, from a linguistic point of view, um, we, when we add a layer of information from what the DNA tells us, it tells us that that linguistic diversity is matched on a DNA level and that there's also diversity in the people and the history of how they mixed and engage with different population groups across Africa. So what comes next? Because because this has made headlines and it's very exciting for us. But but what comes next? I mean, do you continue this? Do you expand it? So I think two things that we're excited about, as I said, we, we're really just scratching the surface of looking at the diversity and we really would want to add more African populations and more ethno-linguistic groups to our research. So the next step really would be is to first Further engage with um, people who can be potential research participants across Africa so that we can learn more. Um, but also from this data set, we, we really haven't gone as deep as we can in looking at the different types of genetic variation that we can look at in this data set and also making sure that the data is available to researchers who are doing a variety of different things and that they can use that data to enrich their research. So, so the Congo would be very, very um interesting to do because you have the pygmies living in the deep deep congo and you have other tribes that were uh, living and they must have also encountered some of the people moving south so that would also tell a story wouldn't it absolutely i think the more we add the more we learn and the more um the puzzle becomes clearer about um, which groups engaged with whom, um, whose DNA is currently still present in the people that are living at the moment. So, yes, so much more to learn. I, I think it's fascinating. And, and Joni, I mean, because of, because of Scott and, and, you know, the, the, the work that he's doing and you peering into his computer, <laughs> um, I mean, would you take this further or, or was this just a one-off? Well, I mean, since it, since it appeared on the cover of Nature... Um, there have been quite a few requests for beadwork that that maps and, and gives a visual, physical, tangible form to to this very abstract data. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's very labour intensive to do, but um, I, I definitely think there's interest in it, and I think that translating abstract data into a physical, concrete form um, really does something to to sort of humanize the the otherwise abstracted data which really is about people yes. at the end of the day it just yeah. looks it just looks abstract yeah and yeah. Uh, and whatever i mean i think it's absolutely absorbing and it did strike me as i was driving here and thinking about this interview and knowing i was going to you know be beyond what i normally know <laughs> uh, but that's part of the challenge and the excitement um the, but but this is a perfect marriage between art and science you know, people say, you know, in terms of birth and death mm. and whatever, mm. it's it's all science. But mm. actually, there's also art in it as well. And um, Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I think artists and scientists do really rely on the visual and ways of, of imaging and giving a kind of... Um, yeah, f physical representation to to conceptual ideas. And they do it in different ways and for different reasons. But we we I mean we we share that I think that reliance on 
well, I suppose the use of metaphors, if you think about the double helix and the Big Bang and black holes and yes. the line of thought and the tree of life. And I mean, they're all these sort of visualizations that happen of very conceptual data to make it um, graspable. I think. Yes, I think that's exactly yeah. what um, yeah. what it is. Because, because it's so it's overwhelming. So, it is yeah. totally overwhelming. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's absolutely wonderful. And and the way we spread was is, is also just, I don't think that's been explored enough either. Um, so I think that it, I think this is just an absorbing field. So listen, both of you, thank you so much. Joni Brenner, Principal Tutor, Interdisciplinary Art and Culture Studies, but also an artist and the brains behind Marigold. And Professor Zane Lombard and leader of the study from the Department of Human Genetics at WITS. So there you go. I mean, we kind of know where we came from, but also a little bit about the other people that are, that are part of us. You know, I think that's what's so, mm. so fascinating. And there must be Arab somewhere. I mean, there just must be Arab yeah. because we know that they were there from very early days and uh, along the coast, the East African coast, Absolutely. coming inland and trading. And so that's a really big gap in our knowledge is more uh, learning more about North Africa. And definitely one of the things that we want to pursue and look at next is to, to kind of include the whole continent in, oh. in understanding what was going on. So exciting. It's going to outlast you, I think. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's so huge mm. that uh, the generations are going to be working on it. But thank you both very much indeed. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, Jenny. Saturdays with Jenny, every Saturday from 9 to 11 a.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.